Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you, Lord, so much for uh, who you are, and we bow down and worship you, first of all, as uh, God, our Creator, and uh, we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, shrouded with an incredible wonder, mystery, and awe, and yet clearly taught in the Scriptures, the Book of Books, the wonderful book, that indeed you are three persons and one God. We thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for teaching that you made all things through your Son, even the Lord Jesus, who created all things, and without, with, uh, with Him uh, all things made, and without Him nothing was made that was made, according to John and Hebrews 1 and Colossians, and we thank you for that. And it's amazing when we think about the incarnation, that God uh, became flesh in the person of Jesus actually walked this uh, dusty uh, uh, globe for 33 years or so, came with the whole purpose to save us from the penalty of our sin and to make the only hope for eternal life, to be made right with holy God, a God of righteousness, a God of justice, a God of wrath, a God of holy anger, and yet a God of unbelievable holy agape love, Mercy and grace, and we sing and we do so well that love found a way, that you loved uh, us so much in Christ that you sent your only Son uh, to be the propitiation of our sin. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful gospel that's been passed on for 20-some centuries now. You're calling out a people, men and women, the children of God, as you open hearts with the recognition of sin and lostness. We understand the payment that was made at Calvary, and the Spirit of God opens our eyes. We're like Lazarus, that we were dead and stinketh in the tomb four days, and you called through the Spirit of God, and regeneration happened. And we say in John 9, I was once blind, but now I see. I was once dead like Lazarus, but now I'm alive in Christ. And what a testimony. The power of the gospel, the good news. It's the great news. It's the greatest love story ever told, and we thank you for that. And you have captured so many of our hearts here. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we no longer belong to ourselves, that we're living sacrifices and that uh, we lay ourselves upon the altar. Our time is in your hands, the talents, the treasury, our resources. All of this, Lord, is in your hands. It's on loan to us. And may we use uh, the things accordingly in a way that knowing we're going to give an account and use them for things that count for eternity's sake, even as we study the words of Jesus this morning on this very important topic. Lord, thank you so much. Now, we, we walked this week, and all sorts of things happened. From last Sunday to this Sunday, uh, there have been many folks that have died and loved ones that have died, and, and uh, they, it touches all of us. It's amazing, Lord. It's appointed unto man once to die, and, and we suffer through that, and illnesses and, and, and surgical needs of loved ones, and we lay these things at your feet, and there's disappointment uh, also with employment. There's some here that are underemployed for sure that we keep praying that you would wonderfully provide, Lord, better jobs and, and that you would care for that in your perfect timing. 
We pray for that. There are some that are burdened with family members that seem to have walked away from the faith. And Lord, we pray that you would work in, in those loved ones' lives. Just living life in a fallen world, Lord, if we take our eyes off you, it's a bummer. It is. It's, it's filled with sadness, darkness, loss, and then we die. And Lord, I pray that uh, we'll walk this week encouraged by the Word, encouraged by the Spirit, having freshly asked you to examine our heart, confessing our sins and putting them out, and, and just asking that you would use us, Lord, this day, this week, to be a blessing, to share the wonderful love story of God's gospel with others, that you would set your favor upon Grace Church as a lighthouse in this community to reach this world with the gospel, that each one of us, Lord, would be a part of that, that we would ask folks of, if they've ever heard the amazing love of God for them, Oh, God, we pray for that. Continue to lead us as a church uh, forward in the days and months to come when our lease expires here and before we should have the new building on the property. And may we stay united as a church family and as Grace Church on the move, may it be exciting and, and invite others who know not Christ. And say, what is this all about? And so we pray, Father. We pray even as Roger did the other week. We pray for men and women, dads and moms, boys and girls in the future who have never heard if Jesus should tarry, never heard of grace, nor never heard of the gospel, that they should be included as a part of this church family in the months and years to come as we lay this foundation. Oh God, give us a vision. Thank you for Paul's word on perspective. Oftentimes we keep our eyes so down at our next step, and sometimes that's very needful. But sometimes you want us to look up onto you and to see the big picture. Thank you for that, Lord. Thanks for the wonderful word. Thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for love, joy, and peace. You give your own a song. May we sing and make melody in our heart as we walk daily and hourly through this life, as we're in our car and whatnot, knowing that, that all things work together for good and to those that love God. Whether we can see it or not is not important. We can't see very much anyway. And so we just ask that through these few days of our life, that we might relax, enjoy you, enjoy the blessings you give, and may we keep our eye and our focus on eternity and be a blessing to all that we should meet. I pray for that. Uh, show yourself strong, Lord, we pray. We want to trust the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge you, and you'll direct our steps, and we're thankful. Thank you for these things now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please uh, take, your, take your Bible. Can I have a little more juice, Rob, so I, my voice is a little... Take your Bible and look at... Um, look at the, uh, the, the uh, Doctor's Gospel, chapter 16. It's great to have Steph. It's great to have you back with us. Jared, we prayed for you guys, and so glad you're back from your surgery and all of that, and we'll continue to pray for you guys. And Jared, I know you're trying to wrap up another degree, and as if you have enough on your plate, and we're grateful. We love you guys. We're so glad you're there. 
It's great to have Violet here, and I could go on and on. We're like the walking wounded around here. I was thinking about that <laughs> with uh, reliving my two hip uh, uh, transplants. Is it transplant replacement or whatever? Two hips on the same side. How about that? That seems unfair. I have two, uh, but uh, God is good, isn't he? He's so good. Uh, we're going to look in our, our next uh, section of Scripture uh, is uh, uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, I've entitled it, A Good Lesson from a Very Bad Example. Uh, this, you should know, is uh, one of the, if not, it is, or it's one of the most difficult parables of Jesus to rightfully understand. Uh, there are so many interpretations and, and uh, misunderstandings of what Jesus' intent was as we look at this. Uh, sometimes it's called the unjust steward or uh, the shrewd steward, and what is it that the Lord, and why would he use such an example as this? Uh, I'm indebted to uh, uh, Dr. Robinson, Haddon Robinson, you know Dr. Robinson was a blessing to me in my seminary years, and he did a, a fine exposition on this, and I leaned heavily on it, and it's been a blessing to me to help me think through this. Dr. Riken's book and his commentary, Dr. Uh, Phil Riken, tremendous help amid so much confusion. I just say that to you because in case you want to do further study, you begin to study some of your books and go like, what is this? You know, I have no idea. It's so different than what Pastor said in that sermon. So, uh, so I, I just give them credit for whom credit is. I thank the Lord for teachers. Aren't you glad for that? God gives teachers to his church. Some pastors, some pastor teachers, what? For the equipping of the saints, for the building up of us, so we understand the Scripture. Spirit of God is a great teacher, but he's given teachers to help us to understand. And so a good lesson from a bad example. Well, the clock is certainly running. Have you noticed that? The clock is running. I have a wind-up clock in our family room, and it doesn't work like it used to. I used to be able to get a month out of it, but now it's got arthritis, and about every two weeks it's on the fritz. Poor Fritz, he gets blamed for everything. But Fritz, and i got to wind it, and if I crank that Bendix too tight, I'm afraid I'll choke that thing off forever. But I'm very aware that the clock is running. Time is running out for all of us. I don't know if you follow the papers much, but um, uh, this week there were two uh, men of great notoriety that passed off the scene um, uh, the Biggs, uh, Martin Biggs, he's a, he's a big, uh, Greg, you might know, he's a big stock financial guru of an old school. And I saw with, uh, like, whoa, what happened to Biggs? You know? And it uh, turned out that he's a multimillionaire. He's, he's like one of the gurus on Wall Street. Turns out, turns out that he had uh, a blood infection six weeks ago. And the infection went into some major organs, and he died this week. I mean, we hang by a thread. I mean, I go, I'm, I, that's, not, that's not preacher talk. So I say, that's preacher, you're just scared. No, just read the paper. That's reality. And then how about uh, seven habits of highly effective people? Hmm? Covey. Covey died this week. Do you see that? Covey died. He's a Mormon, but many people use this book. Very practical wisdom for business settings and all that. Seven Effective, seven habits of highly effective people or something like that. And I read the obituary with interest. Uh, you know how he died? He, uh, he was out riding his bike. Some of you like to ride your bike, right? 
I do. I, I love riding my bike. I think it's funny at my age to be riding around because I don't know if I ever saw my father riding a bike. And there I go through the neighborhood, and there's that old guy, you know, that guy. But Covey evidently was on a bike, and he fell off it, and uh, he sustained some sort of injury a, a few months ago, and he, he succumbed uh, this week uh, and, and, uh, and died. I, I hope that he was no longer a Mormon. I don't know that. But, uh, but anyway... The clock is running. Look, the reality is, and you see it on your sheet, is that we're using borrowed goods. Everything you have is borrowed. You came in, and your mother will testify you were spanking brand new naked. That's true. I saw it three times. And listen, birthing is messy business. It is. We, elders, we were talking about that, right, Galen? Birthing a church. That's what we've been doing is a messy thing, not neat and clean. Life's not either, is it, right? Listen, the reality is we're using borrowed goods, living on borrowed time. So what should we do? I mean, what do we do? Jesus tells us that we, we ought to look ahead and make provision for our future. That's what he's going to say to us in this paragraph we're going to look at in Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. Now, to do this, he tells us, is only wise only wise. And let me tell you uh, about this story. Now, perhaps uh, you heard, heard of the branch, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> perhaps uh, <clears throat> you two heard of the branch manager who dealt in commodities. And that one day the owner came to him and fired him because of his shabby, sloppy, careless business practices. The firing shook up that manager, and at first, <clears throat> he considered his options. He could no longer work with his hands because the good life had made him soft, and he didn't want to go down to the club and beg one of his friends for a job. The thought of that would be just too embarrassing for him. And so he decided that, uh, uh, that he would call in some of those that he had made business contracts with, and changed the arrangement. And so he did that. He met with a number of them. He met first with one man. He had contracted 800 barrels of oil. But he said, listen, uh, the market had dropped. And he said, let's uh, change uh, the 800. Let's make it 400. And that way both you and I will both profit. Obviously, the man was very happy. And he said to him, uh, thanks, uh, you're a real friend. Then he met with another man whom he had con contracted for his boss, a thousand bushels of wheat. And he said to him, uh, let's take that contract and rewrite it and we'll make it 800 bushels and in that way we'll both profit. And the man said, wow, he said, uh, you're a real friend. The man found that uh, when he later cleaned out his desk, that there were now new positions now open for him. That he had used his position as the branch manager to make friends. The owner of the business, when he found out what had happened, was of course upset. But there was nothing he could do. He had rewritten the contracts when he was still the 
personal representative of the owner. And so the contracts, though rewritten, stood the test of legality. If he had stolen the money, the owner could have had him arrested, but he hadn't stolen the money. And so the owner sort of took the whole thing rather philosophically, and he said, well, you got to hand it to him. When the chips were down, he knew how to play his cards. Now, this story does not come to us from the pages of the Wall Street Journal, or, nor from Forbes Business Magazine, but this story comes to us from the very lips of the Lord Jesus. And our Lord had a good word for this branch manager. He praised him for his shrewdness. Take your Bible, look at chapter 16, verse 1, and we'll read the account. It goes from verse 1 to verse 13. Jesus, that's he, he also said to his disciple, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I decided what to do. And so that when I am removed from my management, people may receive me into their houses. Think of house-type businesses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now Jesus uses this character, not because he agreed with his practice. There are some that really struggle with that as they write their commentaries because he's an unsavory an unethical uh, manager for sure. Jesus uses him not because he agreed with his practice, but to simply point out one thing, one thing about him, that he was shrewd, that he was worldly wise. In another place in the Word, Jesus uses the story of an unjust judge, not because he commends that unjust judge to us who had to be worn down by a widow who kept coming to him 
And he only answered her request because he, he was concerned about his own life that she would wear him out. But Jesus uses that man as a lesson in contrast. In another place, Jesus talks about snakes. Not because he tells us everything about those slimy creatures that I wish probably didn't exist, unless you like snakes. But he used the example because snakes have a reputation for being wise. Wise as snakes. And so the Lord uses that. So in this case, Jesus uses this rather unsavory manager uh, to point out uh, one thing. It's as if Jesus is hanging out a sign which says, Wanted, good men and good women with this man's business sense. Shrewdness. Shrewd. He's shrewd. Usually it has a very negative connotation, but in this regard it shows a sense of practical wisdom. And we're going to see he knew his position, and he acted, and he knew his condition, and he looked to the future and acted in light of it. That's what's going on here. Now I believe that the church is indeed a divine institution. A good indication of it is its very survival through these many generations through the rather shabby business practices of the church. You compare the way that most churches and you and I do the business of the king with the way the world does business, and you'll have to agree. When the world does business, what, they study the market, they make surveys, they call on the phone, they drive you crazy. They'll have you out to dinner, they'll have you in their home, they'll do anything, anything, right, to make a sale. They will. And yet you compare that with the way that you and I as believers rescue the perishing and care for the dying, and you'll see that we quit right where a businessman or woman where his or her soul just begins. And in fact, I often think about it, we don't, we don't give the same diligence to the Lord's work that we gave to win our girlfriend's men to be our wives. And therefore, what Jesus is saying here in Luke 16 is it's not enough to be good. God makes us good. We're not good by ourselves. God saves us, and it's the righteousness of Christ. And then he begins in sanctification to make us in the goodness or likeness of God. But it's not enough to be good. It's not enough to be dedicated. We can be doubly dedicated. We must also, Jesus is saying to us, be shrewd. Now, this branch manager's shrewdness was shown in one particular way. And that is that he knew the value of friends. If you see that, that's where he is going with this. That the best investment that you and I can make is not in the stock market, nor in real estate, what Jesus is saying in friends. He is saying, is what he's saying. Use your wealth, use your position, use your possession to make friends who will welcome you. Jesus is saying, that's being shrewd. I don't know what you think about former President Ronald Reagan, but one thing is for sure, he evidenced himself to be a very shrewd politician. He began running for the presidency in the mid-1960s. He was in California, governor, 
this kind of thing. And he did so by speaking at all kinds of occasions, big and small. And by doing so, he made many, many friends. Friends that ultimately later gave him the nomination for the presidency. Jesus is saying to us that you and I ought to use our position. We ought to use our, that is, our position in life. We ought to use our possessions to make friends, for it's not enough to be good. It's not enough to be dedicated. We must also be shrewd. The passage unfolds uh, two insights that direct, uh, direct us to plan for heaven by using what God has loaned to us. And it's already, I said, it's like the Lord hanging out this sign, wanted. Good men and good women with this man's business sense. Well, the first insight is our condition right now, yours and mine, is like that of the branch manager in the narrative that's given in verses 1 to 9. How is that? Well, the possessions we have are not ours to keep. They're ours to use. For everything we have is on loan to us, and it's a wise man or a wise woman that grasps that, sees that, and lives in light of that. I often said that when we studied the book of Ecclesiastes and pointed out the reality that one day you and I will lay down our tools, and all our tools are somewhat different, they are, some of you are in the kitchen, some of you are at the desk, some of you are in the shop, some of you are in the classroom, some of you are in the field, some of you are wherever, right? And we'll lay down our tools and we'll never pick them up again. Never. And if the Lord wanted to cement that deeply into my heart, it was my responsibility as a second son when my father died untimely in an untimely way without warning at a younger age, younger than I am now, to have to take my mother into his office, into his own personal office, the office and then his own, and there lay uh, his mechanical pencil and all of the items that he last laid down, little knowing he had any issues or any problem at all. He laid them down for the last time, never to pick them up again, and it was like the Lord saying to me, get this message. It's true for you, and it's true for everyone, and everything we have is not ours to keep. It's on loan to us. We came into the world with nothing, and we leave with absolutely nothing. I have conducted a number of uh, funerals, hundreds of them, frankly, and I have yet to see a Brink security truck following a hearse. I've never seen it. Never. Never. In fact, I'm told by one who was a funeral director, most folks, when they're buried, don't have shoes on. I said, why is it? And he looked at me and grinned. He said, they don't need them. <laughs> I said, oh. <laughs> Any problem with that, preacher? And I like, <laughs> you're probably right about that, you know. So, so we, we understand that. And we, 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 the possessions we have are not ours to keep. They're ours to use. 
A small boy was walking to Sunday school one day. Adam Robinson tells this story. I often think it was autobiographical. It was probably him. A small boy walking to Sunday school. Uh, one day had two quarters. And that was the day when a quarter could buy you something. He had one in each hand. Do you see him? One for Jesus and the other for a candy bar. That was a while ago, right? There you go. Uh, and on the way, he fell down in the street, and he dropped one of the quarters, and it rolled into the sewer. He then looked up and he said, well, God, that's your quarter. <laughs> now that boy still needed to go to Sunday school for he still had not yet learned what? That, in fact, both were God's and, in fact, everything he owned was God. The possessions we have are not ours to keep, they're ours to use. It's a wise man, it's a wise woman that realizes that. It's a godly man, it's a godly woman that realizes that even in our giving of our tithe, we give our, our tithes and then above that our offering to the Lord, and we go like, Lord, there, you got 10% and all the rest is mine. We still need to go to Sunday school. Wait a minute, everything still left is His. It's His, all of it's His. In the second way, our condition is like that of the branch manager is that everything we have one day will be taken from us or we will be taken from it. That is true to life. I sat on the curb when I was a young boy on Bennett Street. I heard a woman uh, cross and two over right on the corner, Mrs. Shank. She come running out of the house. It's about four in the afternoon. Uh, uh, crying. I go like, well, what's that? I, was, I didn't know what that was. I might have been eight years old. You know, I sat there and soon, soon enough, here comes an ambulance. Soon enough, they go in and she came out there crying and Mr. Shank, he, he was sitting in the chair. I remember getting, hearing a little bit, sort of like watching this, all that. He was smoking a cigarette that day, smoking was even more common. Everybody smoked. My dad said, when you're a young man, you smoked. If you're a man, in 1940, you know, we learned so much more now. And he was sitting in the chair with a cigarette in his hand, had a heart attack and died. Heart attack and died. I sat there, and I watched him carry him out the front door, never to return again. Everything we have one day will be taken from us, or we will be taken from it. That's the reality of life in a fallen world. That's not the reality of life in which we live. Since this is true, number one on your sheet, Jesus calls us to use what we have to make friends. Friends for eternity. Friends. Well, how do, how do we do that? You know, how do we use our resources, our our money to make friends, these forever friendships that Jesus is talking about? Well, I think there are two ways we do it. First, you do it by investing in the ministry of others. You use your, uh, you use your resources to do that. Now, the book of Philippians, in Philippians 4.17, the book of Philippians in our New Testament is really in part a thank you note. The Philippian believers had sent a sacrificial money gift to the apostle that he might be able to do the ministry. He was a tent maker, but, and as time, things got tight, he would make tents to support himself. But as uh, 
the believers supported with their offerings and sacrificial gifts, it freed him up from that so that he could uh, carry out the gospel ministry in his missionary endeavors, where souls would be won to Christ and disciple and churches planted. And Paul is saying to them in 4.17, by your giving of your treasure, you are accruing to yourself dividends in heaven where God keeps the books. In other words, he's saying to the Philippians, as you sent that gift to me and I was able to do the ministry and see people saved, uh, you are in fact making friends. Most of those you will not meet until you get to heaven. But when you get to heaven, people will greet you. They'll know that you were in part through your sacrificial giving of that which is uh, loaned to you and you gave, investing in the ministry, they were saved. There was that beautiful song a number of years ago. John, you probably know it. Thanks for giving to the Lord. Thanks. It's a beautiful song that says that very, that's very same thing. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Through those gifts, uh, this, the writer of that uh, recount said, I, was, I came to know Christ. Look, each one of us, if you think about it, somebody gave before that uh, the message would continue to go forward. We all come from different places and parts, and, uh, but somebody sacrificed. If the Lord tarries, Paul was talking about with our property, as the Lord leads, and we put up a, an inexpensive worship building, multi-purpose building there, that, that uh, there'll be a place there. Hundreds of homes, if the Lord tarries, are going to be built. They're looking at seven, eight, nine hundred single-family homes. And the Lord has us strategically right in the middle there. Now, if the Lord tarries and down the road and, and uh, there will be Sunday school class and boys uh, and girls, a uh, youth group and missionaries raised up and, and community ministries and broken homes and families and all and the, the treasure of the... It's a lighthouse based on what? On somebody giving. You see, they realize it wasn't, life isn't about getting, you know? Uh, Paul, uh, Solomon says it so well in Ecclesiastes. Did, did, uh, have you read that where he said, man heaps up wealth. I often think about it. Heaps up wealth. That's my 401. Heaps up wealth. Uh, all these. Uh, man heaps up wealth not knowing who will get it. And they carry him out. There goes Stephen Covey. You know, multi-minute, heaped up all that. Well, I'm sure, I don't know. I don't, really, I don't know his portfolio. Greg, maybe you do. I don't. Maybe you were his, uh, no, okay. Okay, investing in the ministry of others. As you and I uh, give our tithes and offering here at Grace, and God blesses the work and blesses it and knows our hearts and the humility here and, and, it, and promises to lead us. And, and, and as people are one to Christ, I don't know how the Lord keeps the books, but he keeps the books. And there'll be reward given to you as you give to the ministry of others, the pulpit ministry, the Sunday school class, and youth ministries, and missions ministries in the days to come. God accrues that to your account. It's ways of making friends that you don't know now that will, you will greet in heaven. It's an amazing thing, really, when you think about it. That's how we give. It ought to change giving for us. It's not really God's way of fundraising. Sometimes we think that. But it's God's way of making friends, forever friends, eternal friends. Here at Grace, and as we send out missionaries to faraway places, 
But that's not the thrust of our Lord's words here, making friends, investing in the ministry of others. The thrust is really be by making friends yourself. It's the thrust of the, of the passage in total. That's really what he is saying to his disciples. That as we, as we uh, uh, actively give ourselves and use our resources in our position, that people come to hear the gospel and are saved. Uh, that's what he's talking about. That's being shrewd. That's being wise. Uh, uh, Robinson told the story of a Christian businessman in a near city who always leaves a big tip with a track whenever at a restaurant. And he quotes, and he, he puts it this way, there's a lot of evangelism in doing so. So I've been able to win some of the waitresses to Christ. I just feel that there's a lot better chance that that track will be read if there's a good tip in it. And can I say something? Please do not leave a track if you do not leave a tip. Do not leave one, especially with Grace Church on the back of it. You're, you're making it harder, okay? But make a generous tip and put it in a track that says Grace Church on it, and that will help. And, and just maybe, just maybe, they'll read it. Just maybe it'll go home and find its way into the hand, and God will save through that. Uh, there's a Christian woman who was fond of handing out Halloween tracks when the kids came around trick-or-treating. Now, I don't know how you would feel, but I know that if I went to a house and got a track, instead of a treat, I would have felt tricked. But according to that, but her, this woman taped the track onto the biggest box of Cracker Jacks that she could find. The best thing the kids got all night. She said, I just feel that there's a lot better chance that that track would make its way home. Now there's a woman when she's doing business for God is not in the two for the penny bit. Uh, she, uh, she's generous, she's shrewd, she's using what she has, her position in the neighborhood, her position at that time, using and investing that in the gospel of Jesus ultimately to make friends. Jesus is saying to us, it's not enough to be good. It's not enough to be dedicated. You and I must be shrewd, shrewd enough to make friends, some of which will welcome us into heaven. And we do this intentionally. Faith and I have been trying to do this in our neighborhood. We've been trying to do that where we, where we buy and trade and where we work intentionally to develop friendships. If you and I don't reach out and befriend people that know not the gospel, they'll never hear the gospel. And sometimes it's messy, and sometimes you think, how did I get into this situation? It's not neat and clean always. We'll invite folks into our home. We'll invite some in for dinner. We've had some in for Thanksgiving. You open our hearts and our life. What? You, to get people close to you. I've shared books and tracts and testimonies and uh, with various ones. What? To use our position, to use whatever it is to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be shrewd. Faith wants to be shrewd. And we want our church to be shrewd in this recognizing what our condition really is like that of this branch manager 
and the possessions we have are not ours to keep. They're ours to use. And second, everything we have will one day be taken from us or we will be taken from it. But somehow, we don't seem to do this very well. Isn't that right? We don't do it. Somehow when we get to talking about money, everybody gets a little bit unnerved. It seems to be. And perhaps the reason is, is that we don't look at money the way Jesus looked at money. In following his narrative then, he gets to the heart of what he's going to teach us here in verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. And so the second insight, our view of money or treasure must match that of our Lord Jesus. He's going to tell us four things about money here that uh, are very instructive. I mind you, this is God speaking now, and it ought to readjust in your thinking and in your sanctification the right way of thinking about such things. First of all, uh, Jesus tells us that in the eye of God, money is a very little thing. It's a very little thing. Verse 10. Let's reread that again. One who is faithful in a very in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. In the eye of God, money is a very little thing. Listen, in heaven, and we're only a heartbeat away, you don't need a wallet, you won't need a Mac card, uh, uh, you can leave your Amex home, you know, don't leave home without it. You are home and you don't need it. You don't need money in heaven. Think about that. You don't. And the money of this day uh, is such a passing thing, the Roman money and the, uh, the Jewish money that they... They don't even use that won't even buy you a Coca-Cola today. Say, I've got all this wrong, won't. There might be value, although they debased the currency, it was almost worth it. It wasn't gold and silver. That's a sign of a decaying uh, culture anyway, when they debase the money. Think about that a little bit. Might might not want to think about that too much, but it's a very little thing. Now, this turns the values of our society upside down. What? Money is a very little thing. But in the eye of God, that's what it is. Our society spells success with dollar signs. But Jesus calls it, from an eternal point of view, a very little thing. A father told his son one day, make, uh, make money. Whatever you do, make it. Make it honestly if you can. Make it dishonestly if you have to. But make money. Seems to be the values of our, our uh, corrupted culture in this day. You see, what you and I do with a little thing like money really indicates the big things, the big things in your life, because your checkbook and not your hymn book is probably a better indicator uh, of your love and devotion to Jesus Christ. Jesus knows that money, though a small thing, points out the big things in our life. How you spend it points out the priorities in your life. Every time you spend it, you're actually giving away a little piece of your heart and your value system. My father had over, I've told Greg this before, he had over, he had a number of, uh, of businesses in the financial, they call it today financial services, but one division of that, he had over 1,600 uh, personal accounts for accounting. 
and uh, tax accounting and, and that whole division. And uh, he would say, and he was not saved and never went to church. He'd say, I know people better than they know themselves. I go, well, what do you mean, Dad? He said, once a year I sit down with them and I interview them and I find out just about where all their money was spent or where it went. And he said, they may be in the details. Some have the bigger view. Most don't. But I can see overall what their values are or their lack of values. He, my father was just echoing the exact same thing that Jesus said. Money, God's very little thing, but it really shows the big values, the big things, the big things that we think about in our life. It's a tremendous indicator of that. Someone has said, well, if I had a lot of money, then I would just be generous. But I don't, so I can't. Well, that's just contradicted what Jesus said. If you're faithful with a very little, then God will be able to trust you with much, and your faithfulness will be there. I remember thinking about that when I started working. I was a newspaper boy uh, uh, for years and years and made under the minimum, didn't have to pay any Social Security or taxes. But then the day came where I started to get a paycheck, $1.65 an hour. So you remember the minimum wage at that? And I was all excited. I'm calculating in my slimy, grimy hands how many hours and what my pay. And when they gave me the check, I, I went in and told the boss they made an error. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, no, I figured it up. How many hours? And he, he, figured, he knew what was going on. He goes, oh, oh, he says, oh, oh no, you got to pay taxes. I said, what? You remember that? First time you realized that? You go like, what? They're ripping me off. You know, like, what? I, I can't remember the same thing happened with my kids, particularly Jonathan. He was visibly upset. They're ripping me off. They took a quarter already of everything I made, Social Security, state, local, the whole bit. What is this? Anyway, and then, and, then, and then my mother, bless her heart, was a big help to me because in the early years, you know, we were taught you go to Sunday school and you put, you put your quarter, 50 cents, they pass that little thing around in Sunday school, and you learn to give. You learn to give. And I saw my mother give, and I learned. And you, you tithe. You get ten, it's all God's, but you start there. That's a starting place. We live in grace. We're not under law, but you give that, and you'll be all right, son. And I'm, so I began to think, oh, my, okay. So the government, they whacked me already. Now I, then I'm going to, okay, I want to, in my sweaty palm, put my $2 in the offering plate. Big money then for me, you know. And uh, you know what? And through the years, I've grown and grown, and it's the most joyful thing. I love to give to the Lord. I look on on how to increase giving to the Lord. I think God just, you know, it's yours anyway. I, I said to someone the other day, I, I wish, you know, you sort of wish you knew when you could die. This would really be great, great, because you could do planning better. <laughs> yeah, you don't know if you're going to be decrepit at 90, you know, and they got to, you don't know anything, you don't know, you know, and so, there's still bills coming in. You kind of got that end of it. You sort of wish, you, you know, like, yeah, Terry, you got next Thursday, you know. And I know what you're thinking. It, 
I don't think I'll get out of bed next Thursday. You know, you kind of think that. But if you knew exactly, then you could say, like, I'm just giving this to the Lord's work. There it is. I don't want to be, if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So you try and balance these things out, walk by faith, be generous, trust the Lord. And it's, it's difficult at times. And you guys know what that is when you want to love the Lord and honor Him and see the work grow and be stewards and be shrewd and do it. It's not easy. And so, Lord, we're just giving ourselves to you in this thing. And I want to err on the side, not of being cheap, not of being disobedient, but of being generous and giving because I need to do that, and it blesses my heart anyway. And I thank the Lord for my mom teaching me early. Well, it's a little thing. Second, Jesus calls money unrighteous mammon. In the old uh, uh, translation, King James, it was unrighteous mammon. Here, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, that's the ESV, uh, who will trust you with true riches? Second thing about money, it's, uh, it's a little thing, that, uh, and yet if it becomes the big thing in your life, it'll lead to all sorts of unrighteousness. It will. It will. Christians don't have to be together very long on this subject when someone will, will say, well, it's not money, but it's the love of money that's sinful. And that's true. That's, 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 that's Timothy. And that is true. And we don't love money, do we? We just like to come up close and cuddle and stroke it, don't we? But Jesus doesn't fool with us, does it? He, he doesn't fool with it. He calls it unrighteous mammon, unrighteous wealth, ESV. You know, uh, if a bill, if a dollar bill or a 20 or a 50, uh, if a $50 bill could talk, I wonder what it would say. You know, I wonder what, who, who's on a 50? Anybody know? Is it Hamilton? Huh? Jason, do you know? Oh, Grant. Yeah, you got a couple there? It sounds like you see. <laughs> Grant me a couple of those grants. <laughs> You wonder what uh, Ulysses would say if he could uh, talk since he left the printing press. I suppose uh, uh, that uh, story would be X-rated or maybe R-rated at best. Perhaps it was for that $50 bill that a man entered a liquor store and shot the clerk. Maybe it was for that exact $50 bill and a couple like it that a woman went to a hotel when the convention was in town and sold herself. Or maybe it was for that uh, $50 bill that a banker reached in and took it and traded his integrity and his honor and sold his honor for it. Uh, if it could talk, I think we would find that that bill would be filled with all sorts of unrighteousness. Because money, a little thing in the eye of God, when it becomes the big thing, you'll do anything to get it. You'll lie, you'll steal, you'll cheat, you'll defraud, you'll do anything. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us in this text to swear off the filthy stuff. I mean, we have to live in this world. We understand that. But what he is saying to us as his disciples, that it's possible for you and for me to bring an alien righteousness, righteousness to our usage of it by investing it shrewdly in the gospel to make friends. Well, it's a little thing. Verse 11, it's unrighteous wealth. Third, in verse 12, Jesus calls it another's. If you have, been if you have not been faithful in that which is, there it is, another's. Uh, who will give you that which is your own? It's, it's really strange in the Greek text. It's just hanging there. 
kind of fragmented. And you're kind of like, wow, what's that? Uh, but, you know, it's not a bad way to think about it, as I've already intimated. For money does seem to always be another's. Have you ever noticed that? I talked about my first paycheck. Already 25% gone to the government. Uh, taxes, Social Security. And when I, when I get home with it, when I get home with it now, there are always a stack of bills. You know, you sit down there and you write the checks out. Some of you do it by your computer and you, you pay and, and, uh, and, and it's gone. It's another's. It's not a bad way to think about it. And uh, if you get some into the bank from last year, or from uh, this year into next year, they tell me that next year it won't be worth what it was this year. Well, who took it? Did they take it? Where's the robber? No, they said it was inflation. You don't have the same buying power. And when you die, you leave it all behind. It truly is another's. It's another's. What you have is not yours to keep. It's yours to use. For someday everything you have will be taken from you, or you will be taken from it. Since this is true, Jesus is telling us it's a shrewd man or a shrewd Christian woman who uses his or her money and resources, uh, uses their position to make friends through the gospel for heaven forever. In verse 13 is the conclusion. Jesus says that you cannot serve both God and money. Look what he says. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here it is. You cannot serve God and money. It would be like trying to march to the beat of two different bands at the same time. Impossible. You cannot do it. Uh, you, you could serve one in reality and the other in pretense, but you cannot serve them together. They are two separate spheres or centers uh, of influence and core, for they are, two diff they are two different. You could serve money and use God like an electric blanket on a cold winter's night, or you and I will serve God and use Money for things eternal. Jesus is saying, use your money to make friends who will welcome you into eternal dwellings, into heaven. Sigmund Freud, writing concerning a completely different issue, told this story one time. There was a sailor who had been shipwrecked on a South Pacific island. Uh, he was captured by the natives there, and he was glad that they didn't eat him. To his surprise, they made him the king. It was a great life. But bit by bit, he learned the language, and he discovered that they had a custom there that after being king for a year, he would be sent to a distant island and starved to death. So this man began to recognize his position and his condition. And so he took some of his servants over to that island. He had them plant crops and build them a house and sent the best of those on the island over there to wait for him. When his year was up, instead of starving, 
Instead of starving, he was greatly welcomed, and he lived all his days like a king. Now, I think Jesus would have liked that story. I think he would have said that that man was shrewd. He knew his condition, and he acted in light of it. For the sake of the gospel, Jesus tells us, be shrewd, be wise, use your position in life, use your possessions to make friends for heaven, because you cannot take it with you. But it is possible to send it on ahead. Lessons for our life on your sheet, you should have them, and then we'll close. Number one, realize afresh afresh that your life will soon be over and live in light of that. They tell me that most people do not think about this daily. It is a wise man or woman who thinks about it. There are a certain number of days, and God has, 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 has doled out in his plan for you and for me. It may be this long, it may be this long. And it's not the goal is not to live 130 years. Have you ever seen anybody that old, incidentally? How about 100 plus? Not too many. Have you take a close look? They don't even look like they're living. That's not the goal. The goal is to live every day to the glory of God. I mean, the best is yet to come if you know Jesus. Live in light of this. Plan for heaven by investing in the gospel by using your gifts, your money, your resources to make forever friends, indirectly, through Grace Church, through other good endeavors, and then do it directly by making friends that you eventually come to know Jesus, that you'll have a part in that. Number two, if you have made money an idol, and most Americans have, confess this sin, even as a Christian, Turn and run from it. Do it daily until God expunges this propensity in your heart. And one of the best antidotes, the best ways to gain victory is be a giver. Be a giver. Give. Give. And God will help you with that. Anyway, you'll be happier. Number three, remember again what Jesus gave up in order to come from heaven and to pay the price for your sin. Shall we not give all that we have to reach others in return? That's a question we all have to answer individually before the Lord, to be generous in investing in the work of the Lord. And number four, the gospel, are you ready for death? Maybe some of you here have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I don't know your heart, your life. I know that some are even members of the church and have been for years and, and, and days gone by and done and, and they realize, wait a minute, I'm not, I don't think I'm saved. I was trusting in something other than the say You need to be saved. You're not if you've never received Christ the Lord as your personal Savior. Today, just as you are. Don't do anything. Don't dress up. Don't shower. Don't try and do it. I'll try and do better. Then I'll come. No, come just as you are to Him. And he will receive you and save you from the penalty of your sin. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. I believe, I receive, and God will save you.
Well, a good lesson from a terrible example, and you perhaps can see why through the generations people have stumbled all over that parable of the Lord Jesus. What an unsavory type of person. What? Why is the Lord using this? He knew the value of friends. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful word. Help us be folks that have an eternal perspective, that realize, Lord, we're merely stewards, and that it's all yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in us. Cause us to be generous. Thank you for your reckless grace to save us. And may, Lord, we be a generous, giving people. Oh, Lord, I pray. Bless as we go our way and make us a blessing to all that we should meet. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.